Welcome to this one-off interview here with the lovely Michaela Daystar of Heartscapes. And uh, Michaela has come up with something really unique that I think could be beneficial to me and possibly to other Reiki practitioners out there and Reiki teachers as well, I'm thinking. So she's created a, a class and it's called Cultivating a Trauma-Informed Reiki Practice. Welcome, Michaela. Thanks so much, Bronwyn. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So tell us first, what is it? What have you created? Yeah. So it's a course and an associated workbook that is for us, for Reiki practitioners and teachers, as you say. And for those of us who want to really increase the, uh, the capacity for our students to experience safety and consent and a feeling of control over their experience when they're in our sessions and our classes. And to do that by cultivating a trauma-informed practice. It's something that has a lot of flexibility to it, but kind of pivots around some best practices that I've learned over the years in various ways and that show up really strongly in yoga spaces, more so now in meditation spaces, but not that I've seen explicitly for us, for Reiki practitioners and related energy workers. And so I just really felt compelled to create something for us. Great. That sounds very interesting. And um, the reason how you and I came up against this was that I was interviewed for something and I was asked what was sort of like my biggest whoops moment, right? And uh, in, in teaching. And I thought about it and it was actually to do with trauma. And it was a student who had trauma and quite severe PTSD. And I wasn't sure, well, I wasn't aware of it to the extent that I should have been prior to the class. So there's a lot of different things that 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 come into play when we're when we're talking about trauma. And it's not just, oh, that person's got trauma, this is what I do. There's so much more to it. Now I was looking through, you have this really great idea, and that is to hand out to people first an assessment. Yeah. And so people, if they're interested in the class, they just ask for this assessment, it's free, and you just send it out. And they answer these questions. And when I did that, when I was answering these questions, I went, Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense to me. And oh, that's something I haven't thought about. But yeah, I can really see how that's important. So there's a lot of really fine issues to this as well, as well as the obvious big problem of, you know, what do we do when when we're with someone who has trauma? Yep. So I guess, if we go back, what I wanted to know was what started you thinking about trauma and what made you create the class? Yeah, it was a combination of having similar experiences to the one that you described where, you know, unbeknownst to me, somebody was experiencing some form of triggering in a space that I was facilitating. And in some instances, running up on just not knowing what to do about that, or other instances, not knowing it was happening at all until maybe later, being informed later. Or later down the line, having some tools and processes and structures in place to help to mitigate that. And I kind of started developing an interest in this years ago. I've been volunteering with an organization called Shakti Rising for a long, long time. And they're a social change organization focused on women's embodied feminine leadership. And kind of built into their structure is a trauma-informed lens. And so I worked through their embodied wisdom teacher training program. That's how I developed my skill as a teacher, which I later applied to Reiki. And I was really fascinated by this piece around how to create a container in your classes where you don't have to know whether or not a person is carrying trauma. 
the space itself kind of accounts for that and gives some, some structure, gives some containment for that experience, gives a lot of flexibility for people to identify their needs and to feel kind of safe and relaxed in the space so that we can just kind of account for that before people even walk in the room. And so when I moved into you know, practicing and teaching, I was really, you know, interested in what is being done about that inside of our spaces. And I naturally just looked first at yoga because that was where I was kind of hearing a lot of conversation around creating trauma-informed yoga practices. And that really, you know, has come about because of this really exciting time we're in where there's this coming together of science and culture around this. On the scientific side, we, you know, for the past 20 years or so have had increased ability to see what's going on inside the brain and to really map what trauma actually is and how it impacts our minds, our emotions, our physiology, right? And it's now understood that trauma is not something like what trauma actually is, is embedded stress, right? It's the the fight or flight response that we have to keep us safe that has something's gone wrong in that process and it's gotten stuck in our body and can't get processed through. And that's a, you know, super oversimplified explanation, but it's helpful for our purposes here. And so practices like yoga, like meditation, like Reiki, like martial arts, embodiment practices that help to align our body, our emotions, our breath, and our mind are really powerful to work trauma through. But on the flip side, they can also be powerful triggers of that embodied trauma response. And so you know, there's this understanding of like, we need to, we need to account for that. If we're going to invite people to, you know, turn inward and pay attention to their body and pay attention to how they're feeling and align their breath with their movements, you know, that these are things that can be healing, but they can also be triggering. That was what inspired me. Yeah. I was just thinking about what you're saying there. So it seems to me that not everyone is aware obviously that they have trauma because it would seem to me that we all have trauma to to obviously varying degrees yeah yeah Mm. yeah and this is one of the things that is changing culturally is that you know when we first became aware of trauma as a phenomenon it was in the context of war right so the idea of ptsd developed around you know severe emotional distress coming out of very intense you know combat situations but now you know 100 years later we know that, um, you know, first of all, 90% of people experience some sort of traumatic event in our lifetime. Like it's just part of having a vulnerable body in a complicated world. And that up to about 20% of us will experience that embedding, that like holding on to that traumatic experience. We don't necessarily know about it. And so, you know, that means that if you're facilitating a space with people in it and you're doing that regularly, there's going to be people in your space from time to time that are carrying trauma. And you don't have to know that to account for it and yeah. how you hold the space. Yeah, I love that. You know, especially as Reiki practitioners, because in in one way, it's quite simple what we do, right? And and we're not qualified to be counsellors or, uh, you know, therapists, other other type therapists, unless we are, of course. So, you know, I, I know that there can be that lack of confidence in understanding how we create that space or, you know, what is best for someone or how should I talk to someone if something does come up? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the, you know, first things is like honest self-assessment. What am I actually qualified to do? Right. Because 
you know, I think we often, I, I've had this experience and I know other practitioners have of people asking us like, can Reiki help heal trauma, right? And it's like, on the one hand, yeah, Reiki can be a really powerful part of a comprehensive plan for healing trauma. But if a person doesn't, you know, Reiki in and of itself can, can be beneficial, but the way in which we hold the space, you know, can cause challenges. And if we as a practitioner aren't trained in how to respond to a traumatic response, then we can actually cause more harm than good. And we can put ourselves in a really difficult situation that, you know, might harm us. Right. And so, you know, a big part of this is like, what am I actually qualified to do? And inside of what I'm qualified to do, how can I have as much flexibility and competence as I can to create those healing spaces? And, and, you know, for example, collaborating with other practitioners, right? So having a list of therapists who are, you know, trauma therapists who have an understanding and an appreciation of something like Reiki that you can, you know, refer to would be part of having that container. Yeah, absolutely. So referring people on, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often say that Reiki practitioners are probably some of the most messed up people, you know, because that's why we do Reiki. You know, that's how we got into it in the first place. So yeah. when when people are looking at themselves and they want to they want to live better, have a better life and they've got, you know, things that are challenging them, then they'll they'll go and learn the system of Reiki. So there's nothing to be ashamed about with that. And I think, you know, that, that's also a part of this as well, that acknowledgement of things, right? So acknowledging in ourselves that we also might get triggered in one of these situations, it's, it's not just the clients, right? Or the students. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's such an important piece. And it's one that's easy to overlook because a lot of times, you know, as Reiki practitioners, as people who are helpers in the world, it is very easy to look at that in a very externalized way, right? Like this is about me helping you. But if we're not in a consistent practice of continuing to unpack our own stuff and understand, you know, what drives us, we can run into trouble. And just, you know, quick example from my personal experience, I came to Reiki exactly as you say, right? As part of my own, you know, working through, you know, some past trauma and some difficult things and real specifically working through codependence, which for me really looked like, um, trying to fix everybody else so that I could feel like I was okay. Right. Like if everyone else is okay, then I'm okay. And so I need to make you okay. Right. And even though I had done a lot of work on that, when I started practicing Reiki, that easily fed into that, right. I'm here to fix you so that you can be okay. So that I can be okay. And that caused me to overlook, you know, things It caused me to be overly identified, overly attached to the person's experience that caused me to try to over-diagnose and, and like over-explain what was happening to them. And what I learned, you know, going through my own maturity process with this practice is that that was actually taking away a lot of empowerment from them saying, this is what I experienced and this is what it means. And this is what you should do about it. And this is why you're experiencing it because you must be having a blockage because of blah, blah, blah. When I didn't, I wasn't paying enough attention to their own authority about their experience. And so that was just, you know, one way in which my own trauma, you know, working through codependence was just showing up in the way I was handling people. And in a way that, you know, at the very least took away some of their own sovereignty around their experience and potentially caused harm that I'm unaware of. Yeah. I mean, self-healing. Yeah. It's not self-healing. And and, yeah, I mean, that, I think is a such a, a valuable lesson and I think a lot of Reiki practitioners can identify with that because you know we are trying to help 
Yeah, and as you say, it can become an externalized practice rather than something that we understand about ourselves, definitely. So what are some of the problems that a practitioner might have if they are coming up against trauma in their client? What, what might they recognize? I mean, obviously you're going to do a whole class on this, but are there, a, you know, maybe one example or a couple of examples of things that people might come up against and what, what we might be able to do about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing, one way I want to start off is by making the distinction between using our sessions to treat trauma versus holding a trauma-informed space. So in the class, we're going to be focusing on creating a trauma-informed space rather than how to treat trauma. So how to actively treat trauma is outside of my wheelhouse and is something that we really need specific training in. Yeah. which when we think about that can be kind of a, you know, there can be like anxiety about that, right? Well, then what do I do if, if something happens? So creating a container where we're running protocols with everybody who comes through our door that account for creating safety, control, and consent will help to minimize the possibility of triggering trauma. So one example that's, you know, super common around Reiki is the issue of touch. So Many of us have been trained that Reiki can be shared with or without touch. You can physically touch, you can hover your hand above, you can be completely somewhere else. Reiki can be shared effectively in any of those ways. But oftentimes when somebody is coming physically to our space, you know, gently touching is is often the default. And so that can look like either, you know, we just, that's what we do without acknowledging it or asking, or if we give them an option, you know, we can, we can. We normally would use light touch, but you know, if you prefer, we can not touch. We might present that in a way that that presents touch as the default, the like correct way to do it, and not touch as like a, a modification. And so what we would encourage people to do from a trauma-informed perspective is first of all, always give the option, right? Always ask explicitly, is touch going to be supportive for you today or not? and to present those as equally good options so that a person doesn't feel awkward saying, yeah, I'm not really comfortable, you know, with touch or, you know, not today. Right. So they're not put in a position of being, um, alternative, right. Being abnormal. And so in the class, I'm going to offer just a simple sample script on how to kind of present those options in a natural way, in a way that gives them both equal weight. Wow. I love that. Yeah. 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 And there's a lot of things around that, around people not only being told that they can, but really creating a space where it is encouraged and it's just normalized that what they need is going to be what drives, right? So, you know, if they want to be in a different position on the table, if they want to change position at any time, right? Because we often defer to this like hierarchy that, you know, is certainly present in a lot of like medical contexts where, you know, the doctor is the authority and whatever they say we do. And there's just endless, you know, examples and stories of people, you know, feeling like they have to just submit themselves to whatever the doctor says and like having this really uncomfortable experience. And that sort of thing can cross over into massages or yoga classes or Reiki sessions, wherein a person might not feel comfortable with what's happening, but they don't feel like they can say anything about it, right? They, they, they have to defer, they have to submit to the expert. And so it's really about kind of changing the mindset that the person who's, who's coming to us for a session is the expert. They are the expert of their experience, 
They're the expert of what they need. Even if they don't consciously know what they need, their system is the expert of what they need. And what we're there to do is collaborate with them and to hold a space for their system to do what it knows how to do. And so there's language that can shift in how we talk about the session and the options in the session that can normalize that. And when I started putting that into practice regularly with every client, um, just kind of intuitively, right? And like figuring it out over time without a lot of guidance, which is part of why I wanted to create this class to create some specific guidance. What I realized is that, gosh, I would say at least half the time, there's this noticeable like relief that happens when I make it absolutely clear that the client is the person guiding what happens. And there's almost this surprise, like, oh, I get to choose, you know, it's up to me. Mm. Yeah. You're, you're the authority on on what's, what your experience is. Right. And it's this, this, this reminder that so often we're in situations where we're not regarded as the authority of our experience and how damaging that is, even if we're not carrying trauma, right? Like that's not even about trauma. That's just about, you know, feeling like we're a sovereign person that's, you know, in charge of ourselves in a certain sense. And so, you know, again, these protocols, they're, they're beneficial to us, whether or not we're carrying trauma, but they're particularly beneficial for those who do. Yeah. I think the use of specific language is really helpful. And when you're talking about sovereignty and, you know, I can feel the release even in myself of that, not trying to hold on and, you know, what it could be like in a treatment to really have to encourage that sense for someone, you know, to, to release and, and that they are actually in control of their own situation. That's really beautiful. Look, there was something that came up when I was reading through your assessment that I was, I I was really curious about. And it's something that has been something that's come up for me a lot lately and, and other people possibly as well. I think it's very much about the sign of the times, possibly. And it's something that I would love to learn more about. And I know you are going to talk about this. So it's privilege, you know, and, and I think some people might think privilege. What has what privilege got to do with being a Reiki practitioner? And the more that I thought about it and, and, and linked these things together through just doing that self-assessment that I was like, wow, this thing that I've been thinking about, about privilege and seeing it everywhere, seeing it, you know, seeing it in classes, seeing it, you know, and, and trying to work out how to work with that, you know, I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. It's such a big topic. And in this particular class, half day class, we're unfortunately not going to have as much space as that topic deserves, but Mm -hmm. it felt really critical to have it in the room, right? For two reasons, for a lot of reasons, but two in particular. One is that one of the most persistent sources of trauma of, you know, embedded trauma in our body is the consistent experience of oppression in society. And so, for example, somebody who's growing up experiencing racism or experiencing transphobia, experiencing misogyny regularly throughout their life, even if it's in small ways, right? Small little micro doses of aggression and othering because of a person's identity, that's a significant source of trauma. And that embeds in the body in very specific ways. And that's something that we just as people in general, I think should be more aware of, right? When we're just interacting with with anybody, we should be more aware of it inside of ourselves and amongst each other. And so, you know, that is one of the things that could show up in the room, right? 
in particular, you know, from my perspective, as, you know, carrying the identity of a white woman in the United States, practicing a Japanese art, there's a particular dynamic there that is problematic. And it's something that I've, you know, worked with in my own practice from the beginning. My professional background before I opened my business was in social justice leadership development. And so it was something that, you know, was in my field and really, you know, has been in my life for a very long time. And I really did struggle with, you know, is it okay for me, a white woman in the United States, to take on this Japanese practice? And that's one of the reasons that I started studying with you and with Franz, because of the opportunity to learn more about the origins of Reiki and to practice more from those origins as much as I can, just to, to be better aligned and be in more integrity with this practice that I've chosen to make my life. Yeah. And so, you know, even acknowledging that inside of a, of a group of, you know, people who are coming together to do Reiki can be another thing that just helps to set us at ease, particularly if we're in a mixed race group. You know, there's this piece that I can never truly know how another person is experiencing life when they have a very different identity than I do. And so the more I can be transparent about that, the more that I can acknowledge where, you know, I'm running up against, you know, my limits can, can be one of those things that like the vulnerability of that can help to put us at ease. And so those, those are kind of the two pieces that I really felt were essential was number one, that racialized trauma in particular, but trauma based on oppressive structures against certain groups of people is persistent, pernicious, ugly source of trauma that people carry that we need to be aware of. And just as an acknowledgement of my own identity and relationship to Reiki, and that that is something that I that I work with inside of myself and my practice. Yeah, no, I think it's really um, beneficial uh, to talk about it because, you know, acknowledging that we are, you know, we're so used to being who we are in our society and very comfortable in a sense, especially as you say, as a white woman, you know, and yet around us, we have so many people who are not like us and it's hard for us to know their experience yeah so what do you suggest do you have any um, little hints for us on the way out of this little chat together to help us with with that thing because i i'd like some help with that yeah. yeah absolutely i think it one of the things that's been incredibly valuable for me over the years is to seek out communities of people having these conversations and to do that both in terms of affinity groups. So some of the most challenging and like life-changing healing experiences I've had have been spaces for white people to discuss white privilege and racism and the way in which those things are embedded inside of ourselves. To do that in a container with skilled facilitators who are not going to let us spiral out into nonsense, but that are going to keep us focused on really unpacking the way in yeah. which, you know, racialized trauma like is something that we carry because of our relationship to oppression, you know, to kind of create a container where we can be honest about that. Right. And also being in groups with people that are different than myself to have those kinds of conversations once I have gained some skill on how to talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So those affinity groups, those spaces with skilled facilitation for white people um, or for men, if the, if what's being discussed is is misogyny, for example, you know, so whatever that kind of dominant group is, to 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 let us work through our own pain about that, to 
you know, unpack some of the stuff we weren't even aware of, you know, like I've had these moments of remembering times when I have done horribly racist things that I was not aware of because of how normalized it is, right? Mm -hmm. And to give ourselves a space to work that through so that we can step into mixed race groups with competence and not re-trigger that trauma for other people. So there are a number of organizations that do that work really beautifully, you know, both in-person regionally and of course online, um, you know, more and more so. And I'd be happy to give you some links that you can, there's also a lot of really amazing books, of course, doing the same thing. So like doing our own research ahead of time, you know, is a really, really powerful way to do that. And particularly books that, that help to tell the stories of people that we aren't necessarily always in dialogue with actually have one right here that just came out, You Are Your Best Thing by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown, mm-hmm. that tells the stories, you know, just personal stories from African-American folks and folks from other countries in a really beautiful, vulnerable way. So I think valuable and tender to talk about these kinds of things inside of the context of Reiki is because the precepts give us a roadmap for working with this, right? We can be true to our way and our being, yep. right? Be who we are, right? Be, be who we were born to be. And we can be compassionate to ourselves inside of that. We can be compassionate to others in the way in which they're going to screw up. Right. And it's like, (laughs) if we can actually, you know, be inside of our practice so that we can embody those things, it changes the world. Like it just does. Yeah. It just does. I agree entirely. I've always said, you know, we have all the answers. Yeah, to those things. We have the answers. It's not like we really have to look elsewhere for those things. And especially the system of Reiki is just totally pointing us towards those answers and directing us all the time towards those answers. So, yeah, that's that's something we shouldn't forget or just push aside to, oh, that's just my practice, which is what can happen, right? Instead right. of As this is my life. life. This yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I swear that is like probably the number one topic that comes up that, you know, in terms of what my students ask and like that we now embed into curriculum is like, if we're not living this in some way, shape or form, even if it's awkward in our actual day to day, then what good is it? (laughs) Why are we doing it? If it's just, you know, what we do when we're on vacation, what is the point? But then how do you do that? Right. How do you rely on any of the five elements of the system when you're in the midst of some bullshit that's happening in your life <laughs> you know there's well, ways of the answer to that is to do it more and more and more consciously and it becomes more automatic right exactly practice when you're feeling neutral yeah. or good so that it comes more automatically when you're not yeah that's good well thank you very much for that was there anything before we finish off that you wanted to talk you've asked some great questions i think we've we've covered most of what was on my heart about this i think i want to just encourage people that if this is something that feels interesting that feels juicy you know i'd love to be in conversation i'd love to share the self-assessment which really allows folks to reflect on the the eight or nine categories that i've identified which are by no means exhaustive, right? Like I am still in this learning process. I think that people are going to come to this class with a lot of wisdom themselves. They're probably going to find that a lot of these things they already do, but but are kind of going to now put it into this container of trauma-informed work. And that I just really encourage people to be in conversation with each other about this. It's the kind of thing that if we don't feel like we have a lot of knowledge or skill around, it can be hard to talk about. 
Mm. Uh, and so I really want to normalize having these conversations, telling these stories. I mean, it just as I was writing the curriculum for this, I was like, oh, right. And then that thing happened and that thing happened. Like I have so many stories about times that I just screwed up, you know, <laughs> just didn't know, right. How to do better. And so I just really want to encourage us to, to share those things with each other so we can just grow stronger as a community. Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. So the class is in February. Yeah, and it's online. It is online. It'll be recorded for those who can't attend in person. And there'll be a pretty comprehensive workbook that has you know, pretty much everything that I'm going to teach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that sounds fantastic. All right. Well, I look forward to being there and I hope other people will join us as well. I'm sure they will. And, you know, thank you for telling us so much about all of that. And yeah, I look forward to, to seeing you in February. Yeah. Thanks so much, Bronwyn, for making this space to have this conversation. It's been really fun doing this with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Michaela. All right. <laughs>